All right, so I got to sleep in this morning. You don't have to clap because I'm feisty. <laughs> so I walk in the back door, and there's this group of guys, and they're standing around going, man, California's so divided. I'm just arguing. I'm like, whoa, you know what they're talking about? Football. I'm like, really? Really? Like, why are they talking about politics? And they're all, politics? This is football. You know a real man wear black? <laughs> All right, so I, I know. Actually, I'm, I'm a big Steelers fan, but anyway. Um, because when I was growing up, uh, I didn't. I didn't really grow up with with a dad. And uh, the Steelers in the seventies. Have you ever saw? They're, they're like these huge, just like mountain men. We pulled them out of a pit, and they're just like gargantuan. And I used to watch the Steelers play, and I thought, oh, and that's in my mind. I was like, oh, a dad, you know, because they're, they're big, manly men. And so I've always liked the Steelers. Plus, their helmets are cool. <laughs> Not that this has anything to do with what they're talking about this morning. I just. And here's the weirdest thing. So Christy's up here, you know, talking about the verses and stuff. And we gave you ESV, so we gave you, like, adult verses, not like kid verses. So you have to learn those. But she goes, the kids are going to beat the pants off you. And my, my brain just goes to, but you need to keep them on anyway. Because they came off in front of a kid that's creepy. And you would go to jail. All right, so. <laughs> I got to sleep this morning. So, uh, we're doing mo-karting, go-karting. Uh, next week, I think we have another video to kind of show it to you the week before we do it. Uh, but go sign up in the back. Uh, I believe kids need to be, 50, Paul, right, 52 inches? 52 inches to go. So, you know, your, your kids can go as long as they're 52 inches to ride the adult carts. There's no double carts. They're all single carts. They go like 50 miles per hour. It's going to be awesome. So, sign up in the back. They what? The website says 50. I'm already getting heckled. And I will pay attention today because I'm not half asleep. So sign up in the back. It's 50 bucks. Uh, we only have a certain number of spaces, so just sign up and you'll go with us and we can make fun of you and run our cars into you and be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you stand me reading God's word? Uh, this is John chapter 1, verse 42. It says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You, are, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would understand what it means to be a people who are remade and renamed by our great God, that we would live lives that honor you because you have been so good to us that our response to you first loving us would be to love as well. Amen. Have a seat. This is week 53 of the book of Genesis. And this is a section of scripture that shows the transition of the blessing finally going from Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob over the next two weeks. So if you are new to Element, only been coming here a few weeks, I am going to do my best to catch you up to where we are at. So after, 
I'm a professional. I can do this. All right. So after the flood, uh, the scriptures essentially focus on three generations. The first one is this guy. His name is Abraham. God saves him, offers him grace, makes him into a man and a believer. It's a long story. It took us 14 weeks. You can go back to listen to it. It's all online. It's all there. And Abraham has a son. His son's name is Isaac. God also toughens Isaac up, makes him into a man. That is someone who would lead and love his family well. And in our culture, we think, oh, a man, that's got to be like a cage fighter or a jock. But in the scriptures, a man is someone who follows through on their God-given responsibilities. And it's almost as if the scripture wants to differentiate this for us so we understand because Isaac has two sons. The first son is named Esau. And Esau, in our culture, he is a man's man. He's a crazy, red-headed, wookie-sized Elmo, giant guy, uh, you know, Copenhagen, dip in his mouth, drives a Dodge, unbeliever. Likes the 49ers. I don't know. <laughs> That's so much fun with you guys today. It's like, don't mess with my holiday. Okay, whatever. All right. He has this other son. His other son's name is Jacob. Okay, now, now Jacob is the exact opposite of what we see as a man because Jacob comes out. He's not very tough. He's a mama's boy. He doesn't like responsibility. He's a late bloomer. He's a deceiver and a trickster, and he rips off his blind old dad and his dumb brother, and instead of repenting of this, he runs away. And as he runs away, God seeks after him and God shows himself to him and Jacob meets God. And it's this long process we've been looking at all the way back before Christmas of Jacob's life and what God has done to grow him into to be a man and a believer. And see, so Jacob, he is not a superhero. Like we think, oh, people in the Bible, they're superheroes. He's not. He's just a dude with a ton of issues. Nothing ever seems to work right for him. Most of the time, it's his own fault. And so when he runs away from his dad and his brother, he gets to his uncle Laban's house and Uncle Laban has two two daughters. One is ugly. Her name is Leah. It means cow. The other one is hot. Her name is Rachel. Who does he want to marry? Rachel, the hot one. Whatever. Okay. So he doesn't have a bride price or a dowry because he ran away. So he worked seven years to marry Rachel on his wedding night. Seven years later, he drinks too much, which is a problem with all the patriarchs and a problem with a lot of weddings today. And it's dark in his tent. So he goes into his tent and this guy who tricked his blind dad and his dumb brother himself gets tricked and he marries and sleeps with Leah. He gets punked on his own wedding night. It's a terrible story. And so what happens is next morning, he's, you know, he's hung over. He's really angry. He runs outside and he's like, what's up with cow? I wanted Leah. And so I wanted Rachel. <laughs> what's up with the Ravens? I wanted the 49ers. <laughs> See, that's better for you. Okay. There you go. So, and so he's all mad and angry and he's like, well, you can have Rachel now, but you got to work another seven years. In the end, he ends up working 20 plus years of slave labor for his uncle Laban. This is just a great family. Just wonderful. Uh, his wives after this then get into this breeding war where they want to have more kids than the other. And so they keep trying to do that. And then they give their servants to Jacob as wives so he can get their servants pregnant. See, don't do this. Even though it's in the Bible, it's wrong then, it's wrong now, just don't do it. I mean, guys can't handle one wife, much less four, 400. You just don't do it. So again, he works for Laban 20 plus years, has 11 sons and one daughter. And then God eventually shows up and says, you've toughened up enough here. As much as I can, you're going to go back home. So he goes home, and as he does that, he has his first argument with his uncle Laban. It's about this whole speckled and spotted sheep business. 
I'm not going to explain it. Just go back and listen to it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's all in there. But he's still kind of a coward because he's running away. And as he's running away, Jesus comes down from heaven, shows up in a wife beater and beats Jacob up all night long to give him back his masculinity. See, if you're new, you missed a whole lot. I'm just telling you. It's been over a year. There's a lot in here. So after the wrestling match with Jesus all night long, uh, Jacob and Esau get together. They reconcile. They come back together. And Esau doesn't kill him, which is a miracle. And it seems like everything's going to be happily ever after. But no, that's not what happens. Jacob goes to live in a place called Sucketh, and it does Sucketh. And it's this place called Shechem, and it's not Bethel like he promised God he would go to. In Shechem, his daughter hooks up with an, uh, with an unbelieving pagan guy. They become friends with benefits. She may even get raped. And so his two sons go out, and they murder a whole town. And you thought your kids had issues, right? So open your Bibles, Genesis 35, page 19 of an element Bible, if you need to use one this morning. And I feel like I want to be all UFC. And now, right, that's like a, I know, I'm not like Bruce, but I can sound good enough. And, and now th- this, this is what happens in Jacob's life. Jacob finally starts to do what God asked him to do. He goes to Bethel. And when he finally does that, the narrative after the next couple of weeks is going to shift now to the life and ministry of his sons. Because today, God truly becomes the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So you start with Jacob leaving Succoth or Shechem where all the issues happen with his daughter and he goes to Bethel with his four wives and 11 sons. So it starts like this, Genesis 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, and I love that because that's an amazing thing that God is actually speaking. And when you read the Bible, you think, well, God just speaks all the time. Look out the scriptures. He's always talking like he's chatty Cathy. And for some reason, he doesn't do that anymore today. But in the scriptures, what you're getting are the extreme cliff notes versions of people's lives. After, after the fall, God talks to Adam and to Eve, he, he talks to Cain, but we don't know how long between those two things that takes place. But the next time he shows up to a guy named Enoch, and that's 750 years later. And then God shows up to a guy named Noah, that's 900 years later. God talks to Abraham, that's 600 years later. Then he talks to Isaac, which is 100 years later. Then he talks to Jacob, which is 40 years later. And God maybe talks to Jacob every 20 years or so. See, it's not like God's talking audibly like this every single day. It's not like your crazy friends who call you all the time and waste all your cell phone minutes. You know, God is sporadic. He's regular course over the course of years. Some churches, and I call them shake and bake. That's not meant to be offensive. That's just kind of I call them. God talks all the time. He's like a junior high girl with unlimited cell phone minutes. And some people are like that. They think God, he's just talking, 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 talking. It's like you go to Walmart. Oh, God, what direction should I go in the parking lot? Go right. Use your blinker. Okay, thanks. You go inside. God, I need to buy a shirt. What should I do? Buy, buy blue. Yellow makes you look pasty. Okay, thanks. You know, we think God just did that. Now, on the opposite side of that, you have fundamentalists. And they think God never talks. Like, he just dropped you off on the planet and said, good luck, buddy. Figure it out. And he kind of went away. Now, what do we believe at Element? We believe God can do whatever God wants to do. It's up to him. And not that God, we don't think God talks all the time audibly. He does talk to us every single day through the scriptures. And that's why you should read your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one in the back. You can just take one home with you. You can just got Element logo on it. Great. Good for you. But we believe God still does speak. I believe God has spoken to me certain times in my life. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I believe God told me to break up with my crazy girlfriend which I did, that was easy, and then God says, follow me, which then gets a little bit harder. At some point in my life, God says, I want you to preach the gospel. And I go, okay, it's about your glory and not mine. Now, if it was, if it was, you know, preach about yourself, make everybody like you, and say only things people like, well, I would know that was the wrong number. 
but I know it's about him and his glory, and that's why I know it was God that called me to do these things. See, at Alma, we don't do what we do for our own glory. We do it for his. And this is what it says. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. How do you know it was God talking to him? Because this is what God had already told him to do in the first place. See, God doesn't show up and say, and say, you know, go to the strip club. God doesn't say, oh, go down to the Best Buy and go into debt and buy yourself a new TV. He doesn't say, go to the country music concert. He doesn't say, oh, go root for the 49ers. <laughs> he says, go where you were supposed to be. Get there. He says, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. He says, I'm the God who was with you when you ran away. I'm the God who was with you when you were at Laban's house. I'm the one who's bringing you home. I'm the one who wrestles with you. So settle where I tell you to settle and worship me. This is God getting a hold of Jacob. And he's like, you know, Jacob, you need to be a good dad. He reminds Jacob of his calling and of his destiny to lead, lead, love, guide, and honor him. And Jacob finally begins to do this. And it's really exciting. If you're a husband or a dad or hope to be one day, this is where you settle your life, right here. I counsel with the guy all the time. And he says, oh, I can't lead my family. It's been 20 years, and I've never done it. And so he's not leading now. And I said, well, you should try. And she goes, no, nobody will respect me if I tried to start leading now. And I said, well, have you tried? And he goes, well, no. And I'm like, try. You've got to do it. It can take a very long time to get there. But if you've been unfaithful in the past, you are faithful in the future. And I know it's going to be hard. But we've got to be men who men up like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob where God took us through hard things to do what we're supposed to do. You start to do what's right even if it's uncomfortable and awkward at first because God is calling you to be the man he's calling you to be. Now, how does Jacob start to do this? He takes the lead. Verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So he meets God, hears his call, comes home fired up. We are going to have a family meeting. And so that's servants too. So everybody gets together. He says, we are going to be a Christian family. We're going to actually live as God calls us to live. So he says three things in this. Number one, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Everybody, you get rid of your idols. That's what you do. Now, did God or Jacob say who had the idols? No, because Jacob knows everybody had fallen because of his poor leadership. So he's cleaning the house. He's saying, get rid of all the idols. Now, there's a big difference in Christianity and paganism. In Christianity, when you pray and God speaks, you know, God, please, I want that. God will say yes, no, or wait, or I've already done it. And you didn't even notice that I've done it. In paganism, you manipulate God through prayers and spells and seances and sacrifice and voodoos and charms and your lucky rabbit's feet. They're all idols with god there is not luck or chance god is simply god and in control and baseball players are terrible for this if you're hitting well it's like they don't change their socks or their underwear for weeks get rid of your idols and wash your underwear Number two, he says, purify yourselves. This, this means you're clean in house. In one sense, we can't purify ourselves. Jesus does that for us. But what we can do is clean house. For Jacob, this is better late than never. So what he says is get rid of your junk. Get rid of your porn and your boyfriend and your Borat Speedo and your thong and your bomb. You get rid of all of it. It's like he comes on, he's just fired up and excited. He's like, all right, we're going to be a Christian family. We're going to go to church. Anybody remember where the church was? All right, hop online. We'll find a new one. We're going to find a church. We're going to read the Bible. Where's our Bible? He's looking around. You know, Where is it? All right, Levi, you can't smoke weed for breakfast anymore. I know you claim you got glycoma and you got a medical marijuana card, but it's false. 
I know you don't need it. And, and Dinah, you are 13 years old. You cannot date the 30-year-old dude. It is over. And Rachel, my wife, I know you're hot, but you're going to stop watching Oprah because she's going to hell. <laughs> and my other wife, Leah, all right, Leah, look, you, you read Dr. Phil, but he's stupid because he's fat and he's got a diet book. So you're going to stop reading Dr. Phil. I asked first service, is that too far? And they're like, eh. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then he says, and change your garments. Sometimes that means you change how you actually dress. I mean, if you're a dude, wear something that fits. I mean, you don't get the skinny jeans. You've got to pull on. And we can all tell what religion you are by the time you got them on. I mean, if you're... If you're a girl, your skirts go to here, shirts go to here, and they're not so tight, we can tell what the weather is like outside. He's cleaning house! Did I mention I got to sleep in this morning? Changing, this whole idea of changing your garments and, and purifying yourself, it is representative of complete moral and life changes what it is. Now, later Israelite tradition comes along, they take this and they make purification rituals where you would actually go and you would wash your garments and you would change your clothes. In Revelation, it speaks of God's church and it says in Revelation 19, verse 7, His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That God takes His people and He gives us new clothes to wear. So Jacob says we're getting rid of it all. Verse 3. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar. We're going to worship God. We're going to be on a mission together. Make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. He is preaching to his family. Finally, finally, God has been so good to us and we have not been good to him. Jacob understands now true repentance means moving where God is calling him to go. If you hang out with people who are just dragging you down all the time, you know what? You need to move. I mean, if, you, if you've got a problem with drugs and yet you live in a crack house, you need to move. You need a place to move. I know somebody who has a room for rent. For a dude, okay, not, sorry if you're a lady, you're stuff. But if you're, if you're a guy, I know someone's got a room for rent. I can just plug you in right there. And if you're living with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, it's like move, do things in the right way. It says this, so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had. So they start pulling them out and they give them all to him. And the, Genesis, Genesis makes this point that they take these gods and they give them to him and it shows you that these are not really gods at all. They're not because they can be taken and handed to somebody else. Old Testament scholar Richard Hamilton talks about how these are no gods. And he says, such gods may be stolen and sat on and stained with menstrual blood and now buried. Because they are not really gods at all. So they gave them all the gods they had and the rings that were in their ears. Now this could be the rings that were in their ears. Or it could be the rings that were in the gods' ears, the idols' ears. It could be either one. You're not really sure by, by how it's written. And a lot of ladies today are like, well, can I have earrings? Yes, ladies, you can wear earrings. They're fine. It's not a sin to have rings in your ears if you're a girl. <laughs> just say if you're just paying attention. <laughs> I need to get sleep more often. 
Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So he takes the thong and the bong and the boy bands and the Oprah magazines and he goes to bury them. I mean, this is the idea that you take your sin and you get rid of it and you bury it and you move. The word for hid is the word, this word bury. It's the word taman in the Hebrew. And what it means, it's the, the hiding of a concealed trap, which means that you take these things because they're going to suck you back in if you don't get rid of them. And so you don't just like, you know, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to stop smoking pot. I'll, but I'll just put it up on my shelf over here to keep it for later just in case. Oh, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm an alcoholic and I'm not going to drink anymore, but I'm going to keep my liquor cabinet right over here. You know, there's certain things when you are sucked in, you need to get rid of those things so they're not there to suck you back in. That's what Jacob does. He buries all of those things. And, and the question now is who is responsible for all of this happening? Jacob, finally taking responsibility. In chapter 33, the whole family repents because Jacob leads that way. In chapter 34, the whole family falls and the town is destroyed because he fails to lead. Chapter 35, this restitution and redemption and coming back together, all because Jacob is leading again. Verse 5, and as they journeyed, a terror of God, the terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So they're leaving their entire old life behind. This family had just laid waste to a town, and they're worried these people may come and try and attack us. And so God puts fear so nobody he attacks them and this could be a couple different things you know maybe maybe god shows up and says hey you know this little chat don't attack my people sodom and gomorrah that was practice i'll come for you or it could be that you got these two crazy redneck brothers and they slaughtered a town and people are just a little bit afraid of them because every neighborhood has the crazy rednecks in them right yours you got a couple teeth and a scar and a four with no engine they got dip in their mouth boots they never blink crooked fingers all the extras from american history x right whatever okay the point is that even though this evil thing happened, God still takes all of that and uses it for his good. No matter what took place there, God uses it for good. And I got a question for you. Don't raise your hands just in case you're here with your family, but do you feel like you come from a dysfunctional family? And if you do, what the scriptures tell you is that everything can be remade and renewed. Everything can. And you can even look at it maybe feel even a little bit better about your crazy family. Verse 6, And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who are with him. And there he built an altar. So the first thing he does when he gets there is he worships God. He has church. And that is what a good dad or head of the family does. They, they take their family to church, but, but they also take church to their family. And called the place El Bethel, which means God is the God of Bethel, because their God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now, in our vernacular, what it just says is this is where he got saved. This is where God met him for the first time. And his family has never seen this place. And so God reveals himself to Jacob in this place, the beginning of his entire journey, and now he shows it to his kids. This is where God met me and I met God. He brings his kids back to see the place of his repentance. And it says, And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak tree uh, below Bethel. So he called its name Elan Bakuth, which means the oak of weeping. Now, if you've been here in Genesis, if you're new, that makes no sense to you. If you've been here any length of time in Genesis, you're probably going, who? It's like a whole, like it says it like we're supposed to know who it is the whole time. And this is the first time we've heard of some lady named Deborah. Well, well, who is Deborah? Well, it tells you right there it's Rebecca's nurse. So it's Jacob's mom's nurse. What I think is probably happening is she has followed Jacob the whole time. When Jacob ran away from his family, his mom said, okay, you know, Deborah, follow Jacob. Make sure he does what I told him to do. And so his whole life, he got this lady just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole time he's going, the whole time, just follow him around and all this. Some people think that maybe she showed up after Jacob and Esau reconciled. I think she was following him around the whole time. And so why does she get a burial in the story? Why is she even talked about? Well, Jacob's mom, Isaac's wife, doesn't ever get mentioned when she dies. Well, there's two views. One is that Deborah was a very godly woman. 
I don't think that. I think the second view is much more likely in context that Jacob is finally putting all of the old stuff in his life behind him. And this is his last tie to his mom's scheme that made him run and leave his family in the first place. And so she's a very ungodly woman and she's being buried like all the sin and being left behind. And now there's a new fresh start where his entire life is now in front of him and not behind him. Because as soon as this happened, God shows up and he makes another appearance. Verse 10, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him because God is a God who seeks to bless his people. I think we get in God's way all the time. I think God longs to bless his people, but we never think he knows what he is doing. And he does. And he comes and he blesses his people as we repent and get out of his way so we can be blessed. And this is what happens to Jacob. And God said, your name is Jacob. Simple statement of fact. You are a trickster and you're a con man and a crook and a thief and you cannot be trusted. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Now Israel means uh, he who overcomes or with God you overcome or God overcomes. What God says is you are my man now. You're not a coward. You're not a weakling. You're not someone who runs from conflict. See, Jacob buries everything. God shows up to let him know, even though you just got rid of everything your culture and your world thinks is important, you haven't. I am the one who will walk with you into your tomorrows. He has now gained so much more through simple obedience to what God called in him. And God says, I have done a good work in you. So now is a second time God changes his name again to uh, to Israel. Now, now, why does God do that? Because we are people who forget all the time. I mean, how often do you forget, if you're a believer, the day that God saved you? How often do you forget about that? You know, do you remember the day of your salvation? What about the last time you promised to God that I'm going to stop screwing up, God, I promise? You know, what, what about the last time you said, okay, God, I'm going to grow up now, I'm, I'm going to grow up? That's what we need to remember in the midst of all of our temptation when sin seems so alluring, that trap that wants to pull us back in. Because a lot of us forget that the tomb is empty and God came for us and our life is not shaped by our past but by God's promised future. In the scripture, when someone gets saved, there's a complete difference. It's God takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. God changes people's names all throughout the scriptures. You know, Abraham's wife becomes Sarah. Sounds the same, but it's spelt differently. Abram becomes Abraham. Jacob becomes Israel. You get to the New Testament. Saul becomes Paul. Simon becomes Peter. All things become new. In Revelation 2.17, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. God renames us as well. See, when God speaks to Jacob, he says, You know what? I changed your name, but you started acting like your old self. You You are not Jacob. You're acting like Jacob. That's who you are, but you are not Jacob. Stop going back to your old way. Your family dynamic doesn't matter. What matters, Jacob, is you belong to me. We are on a mission together. And you will never live that mission or accomplish it if you're running around in your old life. See, for you and I, if you're a believer, we are in Christ. We belong to God. And you may worry about your past, but God says don't look there. You look to your promised future. Verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. And that's very important because in our world, you hear all kinds of voices that will tell you how to do everything in your life from how to find the right mate, you know, what relationship to be in, you know, what, how you're supposed to live. And God says, my opinion is the one that matters. God says, you know, there is a God and it's not you. Okay. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. The first place you hear this is in Genesis 1 and 2. He keeps coming back to God's original intent and design. God, in Genesis 1 and 2, gives Adam a naked woman and says, Be fruitful 
And Adam says, praise God. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right. And then, and then God says to Jacob, you know, part of you being on mission is this idea that children are taught to live different than the rest of culture. And the problem today is when Christians hear the word different, they just think it means weird. It's like, oh, no makeup and no jewelry, and you can't laugh at certain things, and your humor's got to be all weird, and you make your son chauvinist and your daughter's ugly. There, that's different. That's not different. That's weird and stupid. All right? Different means honoring God. Different means this word called holy, that we are set apart for God's purposes. And part of this in here is babies. God loves babies. Our culture is kind of becoming this culture of death where we just love death and we don't love kids. If you read your Bible, you will love kids. God wants to be called Father because he loves kids. Today we love dogs and cats and not kids. More people are saddened in a movie when someone runs over a dog than if somebody kills a kid. And it's sad. But God wants kids. God wants lots of babies. God loves babies. That's why we've expanded our nursery here like five times. And it's like every year I think we're done, and baby palooza happens every single year. So it's awesome. It's, it's a holy thing right there. Jacob is coming to the end of his legacy, and it's got to live on. So who's going to lead the Bible studies after Jacob dies? His kids. You know, 4,000 years later, at least, we sit here because someone told us about Jesus. Somebody led us to this faith in Christ. And it also means at some point these kids somewhere actually make some converts. And says, and God says, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Well, that nation becomes the nation of Israel. The company of nations becomes you and I as the church. And this is the idea that it's not culture that brings people together. Culture divides people, but Jesus brings people together. A nation, a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your body. In Genesis 49, Jacob is on his deathbed, and he looks at his son Judah, and he says, kings are going to come from you. And eventually, King David and King Solomon, that eventually gets to Jesus, all come from Judah's line. And God is telling Jacob the same thing he says to us. What you do actually matters. God says, don't be short-sighted. Verse 12, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So this promise that God makes now finally goes down to Jacob. You know what that land's called? The promised land. The promised land, because God is good on his promises, does exactly what he promises. See, you may be in a terrible job that you hate. Maybe you work in a place of a bunch of cubicles. It's like Prairie Dog City, and you're always, you know, maybe you work there and you hate her. Maybe you're in school, or maybe just somewhere. You're really, God says, you know what? My plan for you is bigger than what you can imagine. You can be where you are in a place you don't like, but that's okay, because I am the God who will take care of you, and I have a plan for what's going on in your life. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, this pillar of stone. He poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. This is worship. God speaks. Your life matters. All you do matters. Finish strong. And Jacob responds by worshiping God. And I want to explain what this means in terms of life change, because this is what we should always be like. God initiates, we respond. God initiates, we respond. We love because God first loved us. That's how it works. And so Jacob sets up this thing called a stone of remembrance. This is called an Ebenezer stone throughout the rest of the scriptures. Now, we sing this song called Come Thou Fount. In the middle of the song, Come Thou Fount, the second verse says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. And people go, what's weird to have Ebenezer Scrooge in a song? That's not what it's about. 
Ebenezer was a stone of help, a stone of remembrance. It was this thing where we looked at it, we said, okay, this is where God has come and found and helped me. In Romans 12, 2, what it says is that we are living sacrifices. And in our lives, when we sing, you know, you are my Ebenezer stone, it's my life is going to be this living testimony to who you are and what you have done. Jacob builds this altar and he says, God, I'm not going to forget this time. I'm going to remember who you are. You know, sometimes we need to remember these things, that we, that we are on mission, that we are vital, and that we are his and we are not our own. And the generations that come after us will need to actually learn from us. There's a lot of people today that run around wearing crosses, and nobody knows what it even means. And, and there's all this Jesus junk, like, you know, Christian boxers and T-shirts and hats and WWJD bracelets. WWJD, yeah, bracelets. You know, and seriously, nobody even knows what they mean. Nobody even really cares. It, it's, it's all Jesus junk and gimmicks. It's all kind of way to be cool. The, the, the only reason you should ever wear something like that is to be like an Ebenezer, to remind you that you are not your own. And that we too often are prone to forget. And that God is the one who has sought us and saved us. So what Jacob does at this pillar is he does two things. Number one, he offers a drink offering. Now, a drink offering means wine. And I know a lot of people freak out when you say wine. Well, we're not supposed to get drunk. I didn't say drunk, okay? I said wine. I said wine. You can drink wine without getting drunk, just like Jesus, okay? I'm going to cover my butt here. If you're under 21, don't drink. Romans 13 says, obey the laws. Uh, If you're over 21, don't get drunk. Don't do anything evil. There, blanket statement. Okay, now Isaiah says, heaven has great wine. Okay, and so this is a celebration of worship. And he pours out wine on the stone saying, God, I rejoice in you, your work and your plan, what you have done. I will celebrate what you are doing. It is an offering of joy because God's people need times of joy. The second thing he does is he pours out an oil offering. He's pouring it out, pouring it out. What eventually that comes to be representative of the Holy Spirit being poured out like on the day of Pentecost. An oil offering in our lives would be representative of pouring ourselves out to rely upon God's strength. So Jacob says, God, I thank you for your plan and I will only be able to do anything in my life through the power of your spirit. I will be an obedient son and I will trust you. See, if you will look at Jacob's narrative arc throughout the scriptures, you will learn three things. The first thing is that we are no one. I mean, Jacob was no one. He was a trickster. He ran from his, you know, his dad and his mean brother and said, oh, what am I going to do? But we can change the world because it is about what God is doing and not what we are doing. The third thing is this only gets done by the power of God's Spirit. That is how it gets done. It is God who does the thing because all glory is His. Jacob was no one. I mean, you look at his life and you think, man, there's no way Jesus is going to come through that family because they're too messed up. And yet God changes the world through him, and we are still here today because of it. And God, I believe, can still change the world through you and I. But it's about you and I first living and acknowledging who he is. It is with God working in us, getting rid of our idols, pouring ourselves out before him understanding that he is the God who saved us. And so we pour ourselves out at his feet and he refills us with his spirit and we live the lives he calls us to. It is, it is very humbling to understand that we are just probably like a, like a five-year-old trying to help our dad fix the car because we just get our hands and everything and mess everything up. And yet God still calls us to work with him anyway. I mean, that is why he is that good. It is nothing that we have done on our own. It is what he continues to do because we are no one. And yet our God loves us anyway. 
And this means the entire world can change through what he does through his people and the power of his spirit. But we need to be this people who understand the pouring out of ourselves and the trusting of him and the purifying of ourselves and getting rid and changing our garments and entire life change because of what he has done. I mean, this is one of the reasons you come to communion because communion, Jesus says, you do this in remembrance of me. It's a remembrance of what he has done. And so you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, either one. I mean, this morning after talking about it, don't take the wine and like pour it all over the crackers. That make everybody behind you mad. Okay? But, but this is the idea that, that his life was poured out for you and I. And it's a remembrance of what he was done. So we begin to live the life that he calls us to. The band's going to come up. They do a couple songs. And as they do, we invite you guys uh, to worship through music with them. One of the songs that we do is this morning is actually going to become that fountain. And so when you sing the song, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, you'll understand more what that actually means. And there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, I mean, maybe you're in a place this morning and you are, are thinking, man, I, I've never come to the place where I've actually poured myself out and just trusted God and His Spirit to give me the strength to do what I know I need to do in my life. They would love to pray with you about that. They would love to talk to you about what Jesus Christ has done by being the God who has saved us and sought us and forgiven us for all of our sin, that we don't have to you know, do all these things so that God likes us, but God actually likes us because he chooses to. Not because we are good, it's simply because he is. And it's his love and his grace that saves and changes. Just like he chased Jacob down and changed Jacob throughout the course of his life, it was God who did those things. And so we trust him as well with our own lives. Um, there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. So we give that opportunity every week. And there's some food and stuff in the back because we want you to connect to each other. I say this every week that we want you guys to connect to each other because God doesn't save you and then send you on a remote island and go, okay, good, got you rid of, rid of all those weird people so you can just now live for me. He puts us in community together. So we live this life together, worshiping and following him together. And that's one of the reasons why we try and feed you, you know, because you'll sit back at that food and pick through it, and you have to somehow interact with somebody. Either say, excuse me, can I get to the food, or excuse me, can I get away from the food? And you've got you to gotta talk, so we want you guys to connect, because this connection is also part of our worship, how we interact with those around us. Because, again, as we, we are no one, but through his grace, we become children of the living God, and that is something and someone. It's because our God is good. It's to the power of his spirit. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who understand your grace and your goodness better. That we are a people who maybe haven't done all the same things Jacob has done in our lives, but we've messed up things just as much as he has. And yet you came and redeemed and restored and spoke to him, just like you speak to us and call our hearts to be you intend for us to be. And so this morning, I ask that the conviction of your spirit would be one that reminds us of, first and foremost, your great love for us. And secondly, that we can do all things through you and the strength of your spirit. Father, we thank you for purifying us because there is no way we could purify ourselves. But God, we can get rid of the junk in our lives that tends to be this trap that always wants to pull us back in. And so today, help us to identify some of those things, to get rid of the junk that does that. But eventually come to the place where we worship you in celebration and joy and pour ourselves out before you, 
as you fill us with your grace and your goodness and that we would go and live lives that are a response to what you have done. That we would love because you first loved us. That we would bless because you have first blessed us. That we would honor those around us because you have first honored us with your presence. And we would be a humble people. Understanding that everyone around us is in the same boat. We're all in desperate need of you. And your hope and your grace. And so I ask that we as your people would be those who will show that in a tangible and viable way to those around us so that you lift it up and you are honored. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.